If you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Now in Paul's prayer in verses 9 through 11, that was Paul's request. Paul made many requests for the Colossians there. But in verses 12 and 13, Paul praises God. Paul begins to praise God for what he has done. And then in verse 14, Paul praises God for how he did it. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. He praises God for what God has done, and he praises God for how he did it. And what he specifically thanks God for, his grace in delivering us from the domain or the realm of darkness, his grace in transferring us into the kingdom of his beloved son, and bringing us into that kingdom through Christ's redeeming work. That's what we're going to be looking at today. And so what I most want to focus on is twofold, from where God has brought us and to where God has taken us. He has brought us from the kingdom of darkness, and He has brought us into the kingdom of Christ. And so I've titled the message today, A Change of Kingdoms. A Change of Kingdoms. We have gone from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, if you are a Christian, if you know the Lord. The Bible says that there are two kinds of kingdoms. There is the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, and that's all that there is. And the Bible is a book about how God is moving people from one to the other through Jesus Christ. And we all belong to one of those kingdoms. There is no in-between. So there's the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light, and every one of us here belongs to one of those kingdoms. And as I said, there's no neutral ground or any other option. And God is on a mission through the gospel to rescue people, to ransom, redeem people, to bring them out of darkness and into light. And we see a picture of that with the children of Israel in the Old Testament when they were delivered from their bondage in Egypt. They were slaves there in Egypt. And God brought his people out. Truly, that was a wicked pagan kingdom, a dark kingdom. And we know that through the Passover, what that represented. Recall how they took that spotless lamb and took the blood and put it on their doorpost, and that prefigured Christ, who would be the, the lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world. They passed through the Red Sea when God delivered them. The Bible speaks of that as a type of baptism, if you will. And then God brought them out and gave them his holy law. God would be their king, and his law would govern their lives. Their whole identity and way of living would change as a result of this change of kingdoms. By God's grace and love, He would rescue them from their bondage, and they would be a unique, distinct, peculiar people set apart for the glory of the King. We see that in the Old Testament. God did that with the children of Israel when He brought them out of Egypt and brought them, the goal was to bring them into the promised land. And God would be their king, and they would be governed by his law. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 says that. It says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples of the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the other people, for you were the least of all the people, but because the Lord loves you. And because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, and the Lord has brought you out with a mighty right hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of the king of Egypt. And so God delivered his people out of that dark kingdom and brought them into the kingdom of light, his own kingdom, and he was their king. And it wasn't because they were special. It wasn't because they were so great amongst all the other nations. He said, you were the least of all the nations, but it's because I love you. And God would be glorified in rescuing this people, and they would be His people. They would be a unique, peculiar people for His own glory. Now, that's a glimpse of what God has done in a much greater way in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, in the church age, the age in which we live right now. 1 Peter chapter 2 picks up on this in verse 9. It says, "...but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood." a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, 
who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So that's what God is doing, brothers and sisters. God is rescuing people out of the kingdom of darkness and bringing them into the kingdom of light. He's doing it for his great namesake. He's doing it because of his grace. He's doing it because of his love and mercy. And so with that, a change of kingdoms. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to read verses 12 through 14 together. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. All right, so first point in our text here, what we see is gratitude. Gratitude for God's grace in making us saints in the light. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. So the first thing we note here is that he is thanking God. Paul is praising God, worshiping God, thanking God. And that's a very fitting thing to do for a saved soul. You know, if you've been brought out of darkness and into light, you have something to be very, very thankful for. Every day, every day that you are here on this earth, and you are redeemed and walking with the Lord, we can always praise God for the deliverance that He has brought to us. You know, when you realize from where God has delivered you, it will cause you to be grateful. You know, I think for some of us, maybe more than others, you know, we know from how far God has, has brought us, the pit that He has lifted us out of. But I think if you know Christ, I mean, we all know we have been rescued. We could not rescue ourselves. And it's a thing that causes us to praise Him. When we realize to where God has brought us, that's a glorious thing, you know. We can, we can think a lot about from where we have come, but it's, it's a sweet thing to really set our hearts and minds on what God has brought us into. That will give you cause for praise. You know, how quickly do we forget those things? We are prone to forgetfulness. How, how quickly we begin to move on with our day-to-day -day lives and, and forget about the, the wonderful compassion that God has had and the grace that He has had in delivering us. The reality is God didn't owe us anything. There's only one thing God ever owed us, and that's punishment. That's the one thing we can say that we have truly earned, you know, because we have been rebels against a holy God, and we've broken His holy law. Anything that God gives us beyond that is pure kindness. Any good thing that we experience apart from punishment is pure kindness, and that is grace. That is the grace of God. God didn't punish us. Instead, He rescued us. He brought us out of the darkness into the light, and He pours out His kindness on us abundantly. Notice there in verse 12, it says that He qualified us, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. Now, this word qualified is only used in one other place in the New Testament, and that's 2 Corinthians 3, 6, where it says, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. So God makes us sufficient. That is to say that He enables us, He empowers us, He will authorize us or make us fit to be saints in the kingdom of the light. It's what God does. God is the one that makes us sufficient. Amen? It's God's doing. You know, not only were we unqualified, we were disqualified. That's the thing about God's grace. You know, He, it's not only did we, uh, it's, it's favor that we didn't deserve, we deserved disfavor. You know, it's not like we were just at zero and then God decided to do something kind. I mean, we were way, way, way in the red. We were way negative, okay? And God's grace was such that He reached down and brought us up when it wasn't like we were just neutral. We were enemies. We were disqualified from receiving any kind of kindness from God. And neither could we ever qualify ourselves. We could not make ourselves deserving, could we? 
There's nothing that we could have ever done to earn God's kindness or goodness. It is solely a work of God in Christ. God has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. This idea of partakers of the inheritance, those two words are actually kind of similar. And so the idea is there, it's our personal share in the overall allotment to the saints. It's our personal share of God's promise and reward. God has qualified us to be partakers of that. God has qualified us, made us able, made us fit to receive those blessings. The first one is being brought out of the kingdom of darkness and into the light. That's the first blessing. But, you know, eternal life, life forevermore with God, the quantity of life and the quality of life, it's, it's both of those things. It's forever and it's glorious. It's full. It's rich. It's Christ's presence and blessing in this life and the next. That is our inheritance, and that is the treasure of the Christian. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's God's blessing on our lives here and now, walking us through this life, strengthening us, providing for us, leading and teaching us, protecting us. That is our inheritance, and one day to be able to be with Him in glory and to, to be able to worship Him without distraction. You know, it's hard to worship God without distraction, isn't it? You know, to, to, to be able to worship God without our minds going in 15 different directions or without all of these other outside things or without our own sin hindering us from really being able to enjoy God in His fullness. There's going to come a day where we can worship God freely and fully in glory. That's the inheritance of the saints. And God has given us His Holy Spirit, the Bible says, as a guarantee as a down payment, so to speak, for our inheritance. God gave us His Holy Spirit to show us that He meant business. You know, when you, when you want to buy something that's very expensive and you put a little money down to, to hold that, to show that you're going to make good on it, that's the idea. That's what God has done, the Bible says. We have an inheritance. God qualified us to have that inheritance, and God proved to us that He's going to make good on that inheritance by giving us the Holy Spirit. That's all God's grace. And that's where Paul starts. Gratitude for God's grace and making us saints in the light who have an inheritance in Him. So now as we move a little deeper here into the second point, we're going to see that we have deliverance from the realm of darkness. Deliverance from the realm of darkness. Verse 13, the first part of verse 13 there in your text, says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness. So we understand this idea of deliverance. It's to be rescued. It's to be set free. And note that it was God's doing. God was the one that delivered. God is the only one that can save. It's not a person. You know, we, we oftentimes really look to people, don't we? We look to people and we can be let down. We can be disillusioned uh, so often because we cannot put our hope in a person. We put it in God. It's not in a method. Deliverance does not come from a program. It doesn't come from a church even. It certainly doesn't come from a political party. Okay, there will be no deliverance in politics. Philosophy is not going to deliver us. Self-help books and support groups. Those things will not deliver. Those things cannot save. They cannot rescue there's only one who can do that, and that is God through His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the one who rescues us. He is the one who delivers us, saves us, set up, sets us free from the power of darkness. You'll notice in, the, in that verse there that it says it's from the power of darkness. But the, the word is, is domain or realm. It's not just a power that we're up against. It is a realm or a kingdom that we are enslaved to. That is the realm of darkness, the kingdom of darkness. We're going to talk more about that. So who is the ruler of this kingdom? Who is the ruler of the kingdom of darkness? Satan. And so in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, Jesus is speaking. And Jesus, it says, verse 25, 12, 25, But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or 
house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? So Jesus acknowledged that Satan has a kingdom. And then in Luke chapter 4, with the temptations of Christ, chapter 4 verse 5 says that the devil taking him up, taking Jesus up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. So it says that he took Jesus up on this high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. And scholars have even suggested that this means not just in that day and age, but in all time. You think about that, all the kingdoms of the world, all the empires, all the dynasties, past, present, future. And Satan says, I'll give you all of this right now. It's mine. I have the authority to give it to you, to whomever I wish. Notice Jesus did not say, no, you don't. Jesus did not argue or refute that point. And what Satan was trying to do was to disqualify Jesus because Jesus came to win the world. He came to, to uh, have authority over the world and to be able to bring the, the captives out of slavery, out of this domain of darkness and into light. And he was going to do it through the cross. And Satan was essentially saying, hey, look, just forget all that cross business. You don't need to do that. I can just give it to you right now. All you have to do is worship me. You see, that was a temptation, folks, unlike anything we'll ever know in this life. But Jesus did not succumb to that. The reality is, is that Satan has a kingdom and he has authority over it. So where did this kingdom come from? Have you ever wondered that? How does Satan become Satan? Where did this kingdom of darkness come from? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ezekiel 28, verse 11. We're going to look at a couple of texts. They're, they're a little lengthy, so just uh, hang in there with me if you would. But this is uh, it's important to know this. He's prophesying against this king, a king of Tyre, but it becomes uh, very obvious very quickly that there's something much more going on than, than this, this king. He's speaking of, of someone altogether different, and we know who that is. So in Ezekiel 28.11, it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord of God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, the diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day that you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were in the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created till iniquity was found in you. So there's this description here of this being who is just beautiful beyond our ability to, to comprehend as we read of the description of how he was created and, and what he looked like. He was one of the most beautiful beings ever. And we know this is Lucifer. This was Lucifer. But he says, that you were perfect in your ways until iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they may gaze at you. And so we know, let's go ahead and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, that Lucifer, one of, one of God's created angels, probably on par with, say, Michael and, and Gabriel, 
was glorious. He was beautiful, and he was perfect at one point in time, but he became corrupted with pride over his own beauty and grandeur, and then God casted him down. In Isaiah chapter 12, it describes this a little more. Excuse me, chapter 14, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high and that was, that was the fall. That was the fall of Satan. You know, when, when Lucifer became lifted up, lifted up with pride, and he said, I'm going to exalt myself. I'm going to be like the Most High God. And he was cast down, cast down. Now, in Revelation chapter 12, you don't have to turn there. I'll read this to you. Revelation chapter 12, verse 3 it says, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And so we believe this to be a description of the, the angels that Lucifer took with him, Satan, that they too turned and rebelled. And so a third of the heavenly host followed Satan in his rebellion, and they became demons. And, you know, the hosts of heaven are innumerable, the Bible says, but then we're told that Satan took a third of them. So a third of innumerable is a lot. And so we don't know how many, but we know that Satan has a lot of demons at his disposal. Satan is a created being. He was Lucifer, he became Satan in, in his rebellion as he was cast down. He took these angels with him that became demons. And, you know, as I said, he can't be everywhere at once. We give Satan way too much credit in that way. And I think that he's not really concerned with us. I think he's, he's doing much bigger things in this world. But he has an endless amount of fallen angels, demons at his disposal, who are absolutely pestering us day in and day out, and their goal is to destroy, to take us out. And so that is where this kingdom came from. Now, how did we get caught up in this kingdom? How did we get caught up in this? How is it that we ended up becoming enslaved to the kingdom of darkness? Well, in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 19, I won't, I won't read that. I'll just recount it to you. We know that it was all good in the garden. God made all things and it was good. And he had a relationship with Adam and Eve. They were in communion together. They were perfect. They had not sinned. And God gave them one prohibition. He said, you're not to eat of, of this one tree in the midst of the garden of Eden. And so we know the story. The serpent, he was cunning. He was crafty. He came and he began to, uh, to entice Eve. And he challenged the command, you know, did God really say that in the day you eat this, you're going to die? And he said, that's not true. You will not die. God just knows that in the day that you eat, you're going to be like him. So Satan in the form of the serpent came and he challenged God's word. And then he uh, assaulted God's character, if you will. And what we're told that the fruit was appealing to Eve. It was, it was you know, it looked good to the sight. It looked good. And it was, it was desirable to make one wise. And so with that comes the, the desire for, for knowledge and, and to be elevated and lifted up to be like God. And so she took and she ate and Adam ate with her. And we know that when that happened, sin entered in and the curse came. And their eyes were opened, and they knew what they had done, and they knew that they had sinned, that they had disobeyed God, and that there was something very different now in the world, and that they were outside of God's blessing. And so from that point forward, sin has continued to permeate its way through all of humanity. 
That's the original sin. As a result of their sin, all of the descendants of Adam and Eve are born into this world as sinners into the domain of darkness, rebels against a holy God, separated from him, dead in trespass and sin. That's how it happened. And essentially, the world was forfeited over to Satan. Now, what we have to understand here is that Satan's authority is, is delegated to him. He only has what God allows him to have. And essentially what he does has to be allowed by God, if you will. We see in the book of Job that uh, Satan was only able to do to Job what God would let him do when he wanted to come against him and, and, and really call, bring him to a place of great suffering. And so it's important for us to know that because there are a lot of people who in the, in the church, not this church that I'm aware of, but uh, uh, you know, at large, will say things like, God's not really in control, Satan is in control, and it's like always this, this battle between Satan and God as arch enemies, and that Satan somehow is like an equal to God, a rival on the same, on, you know, on the same par, and that's just not true. And so it serves God's purpose for a time. God allows Satan to rule and to have dominion to a point, to a degree. But we know that God purposed in Genesis 3.15... The first prophecy that was given of the Christ, the Proto-Evangelion is, is what it's referred to, and it is the first gospel. And there was the, the promise of a redeemer that would come. It would be a virgin birth, and that the, the serpent would strike at his heel, but this one would crush the serpent's head. And so we know that even though it was forfeited to Satan at a, at a point in time, that Christ was going to come and he was going to take it back that he was going to be the victor, that he was going to crush the serpent's head. Okay, you tracking with me? Does this make sense? Okay, so that's the kingdom of darkness. That's where it has come from. That's how we ended up in it. Now, <clears throat> who are the subjects of this kingdom? Who belong to this kingdom? Well, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, verses 12 through 13 says, <clears throat> For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So there is in this kingdom other rulers underneath Satan who do reign and exercise authority, and they are subject to this kingdom. Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness... And we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, Paul said. We wrestle against the spiritual realm. That's, that's really who we're at war with. You know that? We're not at war with each other. So often we, we behave that way. But we're at war with, with Satan, with the, the dominion of darkness, with rulers and authorities and powers. And they are subjects in this kingdom, subjects to Satan himself. <clears throat> But there are other subjects, as I've already mentioned. And, it, and frankly, it was all of us at one point in time who, before we knew Christ, before we had been redeemed by Christ our Savior. And Ephesians chapter 2 talks about this. Verse 1 in chapter 2, it says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespass and sin. So we were dead. We were separated from God because of our transgression, our trespass. There was a sign that said, don't, don't cross this line, and we did it. We trespassed, okay? We broke God's law. It says, in which, you, uh, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So all of us, we were once enslaved to this dominion under the control of the prince of the power of the air, Satan is referred to. It says, among whom we all once conducted ourselves, and we were by nature children of wrath. Like I just said a moment ago, we were all, we were all under God's wrath by nature because of the sin that... that you know, we, quite frankly, love. We have loved our sin and hated God. And so we were by nature children of wrath, enslaved to a kingdom of darkness, 
that was ruled by Satan himself and his fallen angels and demons. So what are the characteristics of this kingdom? You know, it's important to know this kind of stuff because it helps us to worship God when we recognize from where he brought us. And some people need to know this because today there are some who are still in this kingdom. And so you need to know. I pray that God would open the eyes of anybody hearing this who is still in this kingdom because you can be set free. All right, so what are the characteristics of this kingdom? Well, it takes on the characteristics of its king. This kingdom is much like its king. You know, the Bible says that the son is the, the glory of the father on an on a earthly level so often. You'll see that. And so Jesus actually kind of takes that same idea in John chapter 8, verse 44. He says, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar. <clears throat> Excuse me. He is a liar and the father of it. So the kingdom looks an awful lot like its ruler, its king. And Jesus said that you're of your father, the devil. And you have the desires of your father. Man, talk about an insult right there, okay? Jesus was talking to the Pharisees there. But, you know, what, what, how would we characterize Satan? If, if Satan is the king of this, this realm, this dominion, how would we characterize it? Well, we know Satan, first and foremost, is a deceiver. Deception. He is a liar. He is the father of lies. And he would have... He would love nothing more than for us to simply be blinded to the truth of God, the glory of God. And the Bible says that Satan has blinded this, the eyes of the world. Satan is a destroyer. The Bible describes him as that. And he is like a roaring lion, lion seeking whom he can devour. God is looking to destroy, or not God, excuse me. God is going to destroy Satan, amen. But Satan is a destroyer. The Bible also describes him as a tempter. Satan is one who tempts. His goal is to tempt us to fall and to sin and to thereby be destroyed or disqualified. And then he's an accuser. He's described as an accuser. So he tempts us and then he accuses us for it when we do fall. Satan is a thief. He's come to, to steal, to kill and to destroy. So that is just to name a few things. Those are some descriptions of who Satan is, what Satan is like, what Satan is about. And, and he is the ruler of this kingdom. And this kingdom is one of pride, arrogance, greed. You know, never enough. I need more. Just give me more. Greed. Envy. You know, I want what you have. And not only that, I don't want you to have it. I don't want you to have what you have. That's envy. Hatred. Hatred. And Jesus says that's murder in the heart. It's a kingdom of violence. It's a kingdom of vulgarity. It's a kingdom of slander and a kingdom of lust. So that is Satan, and that is what his kingdom is about. But you know what? The kingdom of darkness doesn't always look dark. You know, just like... Satan probably doesn't have horns and a pointy tail and a pitchfork. The Bible says that he, he disguises himself as an angel of light. And so I don't think Satan would have the kingdom of darkness to, to be some scary-looking, terrifying type of thing. You know, oftentimes what the kingdom of darkness looks like is it's filled with good people. I'm good, you know. I'm, I believe that when I stand before God, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to get in. I paid my taxes. You know, I worked hard. I provided for my family. You know, I haven't killed anybody. I'm not like that guy over there or that girl over there. I'm good. See, that's, that's the kind of thinking that goes along with the kingdom of darkness. It's a blindness is what it is. Sometimes it looks like being very spiritual. And this world is full of those folks, is it not? You know, I don't believe in Jesus or God, but I'm spiritual. I'm spiritual. Somehow, if you're just spiritual, 
or, you know, I'm sincere. You know, you may be really sincere in your beliefs, but you can be sincerely wrong and deceived and lost and blind. Sometimes this kingdom looks like self-righteousness. You know, I'm just really exalted above everyone else because look at me. I've got my list and I keep it perfectly. You don't have a list like that. How are you doing with your list? I bet you can't keep your list. I've kept my list. God owes me something. I'm going to stand before God one day and be able to say, look at what I have done. That's self-righteousness. Self-sufficiency. I have everything that I need. I don't need God. You know, that might work for you. You may need a crutch. I don't need a crutch. I'm taken care of. I've got family. I've got money. I've got you know, my career. I've got my goals and dreams and aspirations. I don't need that. I'm good. See, those are the kinds of things so often that are what the kingdom of darkness is really about. It's not always violence, murder, drug addiction, you know. And, and a lot of times in the church, a lot of people are caught up in all kinds of sin, pride, gossip, you know, on and on it goes, but they think because they're not, you know, hooked on heroin or, or some other thing that they're somehow not, not like other people, you know, they're, it's not the same. Nothing can be farther from the truth. So often those are the kinds of things that are most pervasive in the world that most reflect Satan. And so that's the kingdom of darkness. And Satan is intent on making this kingdom attractive. Satan would entice us with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, First John tells us. You know, pleasure. If it feels good, do it. The lust of the eyes. If it looks good, I want it. You know, pride in possessions, materialism, the pride of life, success, status. You know, those are the kinds of things that Satan would love to entice us into. Those are the kinds of things that the world loves. Those are the kinds of things that the world Hells is great. This is the stuff that we're living for in this world, in the domain of darkness. Pleasure, possessions, status, prestige, notoriety, intellect, talent, strength, physical beauty. You know, these are the false gods that this world worships. These are the things that, that we hail instead of Christ Himself. And those things are pleasurable. But you know, with Satan... Things start out good at first. It starts out as pleasure. It starts out as fun and fun and games. But then you find out you've been hooked. It's got you. You know, when I was younger, you know, early teens, I liked to party and it was fun and it was all good. But as I got older, I realized it wasn't a party anymore. I had been hooked. I was enslaved to the thing that was, you know, at one point in time, fun, I suppose you could say, but not anymore. And that's the way that it is. It starts out as fun and games until you find out that you've been had, you've got got, and you're slave, enslaved to it. Well, Paul is praising God that we've been delivered from that kingdom. And it's a deliverance from the power of sin. It's the deliverance from the penalty of sin. And one day there will be a deliverance from even the presence of sin altogether. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said this, Beloved, we still are tempted by Satan, but we are not under his power. We have to fight with him, but we are not his slaves. He is not our king. He has no rights over us. We do not obey him. We will not listen to his temptation. We don't have to. I mean, we do, quite honestly, but we don't have to. We've been set free. We've been taken out of that kingdom of darkness, out of that realm, that domain of darkness. And we've been transferred into the kingdom of Christ. So that brings us to our next point, point number three, verse 13, the latter part of verse 13. It says, and, and we've been conveyed into the kingdom of the son of his love. So we have been delivered from the domain of darkness and conveyed into the kingdom of the Son of His love. That is to say, God has translated us. God has moved us. God has changed us. He brought us out of one kingdom and into another, out of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light. 
You know, a prisoner of war that is rescued from his captivity but left behind enemy lines is in a better position than he was. I mean, we could say that much, but he's still very much in trouble. He's still in trouble. But a prisoner that is rescued and brought home has experienced a complete delivery. And that's what God has done for us. Not only has God delivered us from the territory of the enemy, He has brought us into His own kingdom. No longer prisoners, and we're no longer behind enemy lines. And this is much like the children of Israel, as I mentioned earlier. From bondage to the promised land, it's God's goal. Acts chapter 26, verse 18, it says, "...to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light." from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's the goal. That's the goal. That's what God has done. That's what God is doing. So now we're talking about this kingdom of light. Who is the ruler of this kingdom? Jesus. That's right. King Jesus. And it says it right here in the verse, the kingdom of his beloved son. Psalm chapter 2, it's a messianic prophecy, and it starts by talking about how the kingdoms of the world are in an uproar. They're raging against God. They would not have God rule over them. Then it says in verse 4 of Psalm 2, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. He shall speak to them in His wrath and distress them in His deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. So there's this prophecy here. The kingdoms would rage against God, but he would laugh in derision against them. And then say, I don't care what you say or what you think. I'm going to raise up a king. I'm going to install this king. This king is going to be my son. And all of the nations, all of the earth will be his possession. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Daniel said, I was watching in the night visions. And behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. So Daniel has this prophecy, one like the Son of Man, and we know who that is, that is Jesus Christ, came to the Ancient of Days, and that is a reference to the, to the Father, Father God. He came to him and God lifted him up. God put him in place and said that he was going to be given dominion and glory and a kingdom over all nations and languages. All would serve him. It would be an everlasting kingdom. Hallelujah. It would be a never ending kingdom, an eternal kingdom and dominion that would never pass away. And this kingdom would never be destroyed. That is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's his kingdom and he is the king. Where did this kingdom come from? It's an eternal kingdom that came forth from God Himself. And who are the subjects of this kingdom? Who are the subjects to this kingdom? Those who have bowed the knee to the King, Jesus. If you've called upon His name, if you have asked His forgiveness, if you have trusted Him for salvation... If you have turned from the old life, the old self, if you have turned to him in faith, then you are a member of this kingdom. He is your king. He is your Lord. He is your savior. You have to bow the knee to the king. You have to look to him, call upon his name, cry out to him for deliverance, cry out to him to be rescued. He will rescue you. So what are the characteristics of this kingdom? What are the characteristics of this kingdom? Well, much like how the kingdom of darkness takes on the characteristics of its king, the kingdom of light takes on the characteristics of its king, King Jesus. And this is a kingdom of truth. Not lies, not deception, but it is a kingdom of truth. It's a kingdom of purity. 
Not wickedness, not evil, but purity. It's a kingdom of unconditional love. A love beyond any kind of love that we could ever know anywhere else outside of Christ. You'll never know a love like that love. That's what that kingdom is made up of. It's a kingdom of inexpressible joy. Not torment, not dread, not fear, joy. It's a kingdom of unexplainable peace. Not anxiety, not worry, not depression, not discouragement, but peace. It's a kingdom of strength, not weakness. It's a kingdom of obedience. Obedience to our God. Obedience to our Christ. Obedience to our King. It's a kingdom of service where we look out for the needs of other people, not just our own. It's a kingdom of contentment, grateful for who we are and what we have in Christ. And if we have nothing else in this life, we have more than enough. We are full in Him. It's a kingdom of humility. It's not about exalting ourselves or, or having glory for ourselves. It's a kingdom of humility. It's a kingdom of goodness and delight. It's a kingdom of delight. For God would have us delight in Christ. In Him is fullness of riches and pleasure forevermore. It's a kingdom of delight. In this kingdom... The least shall be the greatest. In this kingdom, the first shall be the last. In this kingdom, the greatest of all is the servant of all. It's the grand reversal of the gospel. Everything that this world esteems as great, God just turns it on its head and says that if you want to truly be great in this world, you have to be low, you have to humble yourself. If you want to truly be exalted in the kingdom of God, you must be a servant of all. If you force yourself to the front of the line, you're going to be put in the back. In this kingdom, our treasure is not stored up on earth, but in heaven. We're living for heavenly reward. We sacrifice here and now so that we can build up an eternal inheritance. In this kingdom, you give away your life to find it. Jesus says that if you would find your life, you must lose it. There was a missionary who said that he is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Fight as you may, try as you may, you're going to lose, you lose this life. You know, it's like trying to grasp the wind. But if you're willing to give your life away for Christ's sake, you're going to find life, and it's going to be life that can never be taken from you, life that will never be lost, life eternal. It's a kingdom where God's glory and delight is the measure of success. I need, you need to hear that. It's a kingdom where God's glory and God's delight is the true measure of success. It's not huge crowds. It's not a lot of money. It's not glory and fame. It's very different in the kingdom of God. I talked about this last Wednesday. You know, if there were a rose in the middle of the forest somewhere that no one would ever see, do you think that God could be glorified by that in His creation? Absolutely, because He sees it. He knows that it's there and it's special to Him. He made that. You know, I once heard it said of, of um, preachers. A preacher was asked by another, who do you think the greatest preacher is in the world? And he said, well, whoever he is, I guarantee you we've never heard of him because he was probably tucked away somewhere in the middle of nowhere with a church of 10 people. But God was glorified. God kept that one for himself. You know, and that's, that's God's value system in the kingdom. It's not the way that we think so often. Well, this change of kingdoms means a change of identity and character. This change of kingdoms makes a cha uh, means a change of identity and character. We come out of the kingdom of darkness and we are changed. We are transformed. We are made brand new in Christ. We are born again of him in life and light. And that changes everything. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20, <clears throat> it says, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. So we put off the old man. That's the old man, the old nature, the old realm of darkness. You put that off. 
verse 23, and you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That is the new man in the new realm, the, the light of darkness, the kingdom of Christ. So we put off the old, we put on the new. It's not the old man in a new kingdom. You understand that. That can never work. And that's what, that's what you have so often with people who try to reform their lives without having a transformed heart. I think about in addiction especially, you see people who, who want to quit drinking, quit using drugs, but they're still the same person. And so that becomes the center of their existence for years is to fight this one thing. And they may white knuckle their way through it and they may not use again, but they are angry. Oftentimes they are bitter. They're still that same person. They're just fighting this one habit. They're not transformed. When we come into the kingdom of light, we're not the old person in a new kingdom. We are a new creation in a new kingdom. Amen? Amen. And it looks like this. It looks like a changed life. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. So stop lying and speak truth. There's a change. Verse 28 let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor with his hands what is good that he may have something to give to him who has a need. So stop stealing and now work sacrificially so that you can give to somebody who has a need. See, that's a change. That's a changed heart. That's a changed life. That's a change of, change of kingdoms. Verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. We don't talk like we used to. We don't tear people down like we used to. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. That word corrupt, sapros, it's used in other places just to describe rotten fish and fruit. It's corrupt. It's gross. It's rotting. It stinks. You know, what would happen if you ate that? You'd be sick. And that's what corrupting speech does. It's poisonous. But instead, we're to have speech that is good for edification. What is that? Build up. To build up. And so that's the change in kingdom. That's the change in the heart. That's the change in the character. And that's what happens when we're brought from darkness into light. We are set free. We are delivered from the power of Satan in that domain. We are transformed, made new Christ, brought into a new kingdom. And we are changed from the inside out. Amen. Amen. And that brings us to our last point. Almost done here. So how did this happen? I told you that he was going to praise God for what God had done. And now he praises God for how he did it. Verse 14. Fourth point, we've been brought into the kingdom of Christ through redemption. We've been brought into the kingdom of Christ through redemption. Verse 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, bought us out of the kingdom of darkness. He bought us out. He paid the price. He purchased us. And he did it with his blood, the Bible says. And that, that speaks of his life that was given, his death on the cross. Perfect life that he lived, and then the death that he died that he didn't deserve, but we deserved. That death through his blood. And First Peter talks about this in chapter 1, verse 17. It says, and if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's what we've been redeemed by. That word redeemed means to purchase, to buy, and so Christ bought us by his blood. We've been bought out of slavery and we've been purchased into his kingdom. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you are bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So we've been purchased, folks. If you've called upon the name of Christ... You've been purchased out of the kingdom of darkness and purchased into the kingdom of light. You've been bought. We belong to another now. 
We used to belong to Satan, now we belong to Christ. We belong to him, and it was because of the shed blood of the Savior on the cross on our behalf, where our sins were paid for, and our atonement, our forgiveness was bought. Now, let me tell you what I don't mean by this. I do not mean to say that Jesus paid the purchase price to Satan. And that is, a, that is a, an actual teaching out there. It's called the ransom theory. That because we were in bondage to Satan in the domain of darkness, Christ paid the price to Satan so that we would be set free. That's absolutely false. That is not what that means. The key, the key here is in the text. It's the forgiveness of sin. The forgiveness of sin that Christ secured for us. See, we owed a debt that we could never pay. How can finite man sin against an infinitely holy God and ever pay a debt like that? That's why it's an eternal punishment. We, we minimize, we really minimize the holiness of God and our sin, our offense against Him. But the reality is we can never pay in full the debt that we owed against God. And for that reason, we were outside, we were separated the Bible says that the wage of sin is death. When you sin, you earn for yourself death. And that we were dead in our trespass and sin, Ephesians 2.1. And because of that debt, we were alienated from God. Because of that debt, we were at enmity with God. We were separated from God. We were outside of His blessing. We were enemies with God because of our sin, because of the debt that we owed. But Christ canceled that debt, that record of debt. He satisfied God's righteous requirements. He satisfied God's judgment. See, we, we couldn't do that because we are finite men. We're dust, the Bible says. We're but dust. My pastor in South Carolina used to say we're but dust. That's about what it amounts to. But Christ is of infinite worth, infinite value, he is the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God who took on flesh. And in perfection and holiness, still He suffered for us. And that could satisfy the wrath of an infinitely holy God. Paid in full. Paid in full. That's what the cross represents. So everything that was against us, everything that we had done was paid for in full at the cross. And then... It says that those hand uh, that he took it out of the way, nailed it to the cross. I got ahead of myself. So after he canceled our record of debt and he satisfied God's righteous requirement, he broke the power of sin and death, setting the captive free. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, and you being dead in your trespass and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses having wiped out the handwriting of a requirement that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. And he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So our record of debt was forgiven. <clears throat> and he disarmed principalities and powers. <clears throat> and we'll close with this, John chapter 8. Verse 31, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Therefore, if the son makes you free, what? You shall be free indeed. We are free, brothers and sisters, free indeed. We have been rescued, redeemed, delivered, restored, ransomed purchased out of the darkness and brought into the light. And we're now of that kingdom. We are new in Christ, bought by the precious blood of Jesus. Amen. And if anybody's watching from at home or here today and you don't know that forgiveness, you can know it. It can come down upon you like a flood right now. If you call upon the name of Jesus and you say, Jesus, would you please rescue me? I know what this kingdom, that sounds like the life that I'm living right now. And I want to be rescued out of that. I can't rescue myself. Jesus, would you please rescue me? Would you save me? 
I want you. I need you. I can't live without you. Trust him for salvation. Ask God's forgiveness through Christ. Call upon his name. Turn to him today and you will be set free. You will be forgiven.